morning, Anyag Brighton. I'm Clark Zombreaker, and I get to serve as Director of Ministry here at Anyag Brighton. And I have the honor of sharing God's Word with us this morning. And I just want to welcome you to my backyard. It's too nice outside to, to be inside. And so I hope you enjoy the sounds of nature in my neighborhood during this message. Um, we're in a series titled Fight the Good Fight. And we are working our way through the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy. And so I want to invite you this morning to kind of take a leisurely stroll with me through these verses. And so let's look at verse 14. Paul says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. So early, earlier in verse 2 of this chapter, um, Paul instructs Timothy to take everything Timothy had heard Paul teach. And he instructs Timothy to everything you've heard me teach, give it to others who can themselves give it to others. And so that's what Paul essentially is saying here. The things I'm sharing with you now, share with others. So then Paul issues a warning to Timothy to pass on, which essentially is this. Don't engage in fighting and arguing when you encounter opposing beliefs. Now, Paul's not saying don't correct others. There's plenty in this, this letter to Timothy that deals with correcting others. Um, Paul's also, he's not promoting uh, just a passive attitude. He's not wanting Timothy to say, hey, you know what? I'll do me, you do you. And as long as we don't ruffle each other's feathers, it'll all be great. No, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, if you're fighting someone, when you're in a fight, the goal of the fighter is to win the fight. The goal of the fighter is not to win the other person. And so Paul is saying the follower of Jesus needs to resist the temptation to win arguments. Because as followers of Jesus, we're to be about winning people with love. And so Paul says that this type of reaction to those you disagree with, no matter how crazy and untrue their ideas might be, it's actually of no value. Matter of fact, it has a negative value, Paul says, because it ruins even those who are just kind of listening to it. Even the spectators of the fight are ruined as a result of it. So this, this, this spirit, this fighting spirit, insidiously pulls the spectators in to that same self-serving spirit that the fighters are operating in. And so I'm reminded as times as a kid, you know, seeing uh, fights in the neighborhood or at school, and there's a group of kids around these two individuals who are not trying to win each other over, but they're trying to win the fight. They're trying to dominate. And you can see in the crowd, the spectators are, are taking sides and they're rooting for their, their fighter and they're wanting to see their fighter take the other person out. And so in a sense, that's what Paul is saying. So Paul, he, he goes on in verse 15, and in verse 15, I believe he gets to the heart of the matter, of this passage we're looking, looking at this morning. This is the heart of the matter. Paul says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So here Paul is telling Timothy to, think of himself as a worker, as an employee who's got a job and he's got a boss. 
And, and so he tells Timothy, hey, do whatever is necessary for you to be able to stand before God as a worker would stand before his employer with confidence and pride in his work, knowing that, that his work is quality, knowing that he didn't cut any corners, he didn't mismanage any resources, uh, he wasn't taking a nap in the, in the break room when he was supposed to be working, or, or any, any other practices that would create shoddy work. Paul is saying, I want you to be able to stand before your heavenly employer with this type of pride, with this type of confidence in your work. And so it, the, the word that, that Paul uses, the Greek word that Paul uses for, for what is interpreted here as correctly handle, it literally means make a straight cut. And so this undoubtedly would, would bring to Timothy's mind any number of occupations in his day where the, the, the worker's ability to make a straight cut was, was what uh, determined the quality of his work. And so that could be a mason, someone who's cutting stone to build a building. Those straight cuts are important. Otherwise, the building might topple in on itself. Or maybe someone who works uh, in a field plowing. Um, those straight lines are important so that those crops are able to have the act, uh, consistent and, and, and um, optimum distance between each other. So, but there's another profession in Timothy's day that was incredibly reliant on a worker's ability to make a straight cut. And that was in the building of the Roman roads. So historians credit much of Rome's success as an empire to a number of things, but one of those things is their network of roads that they had developed. And these roads allowed for quick and relatively easy travel throughout the, this huge empire. And one of the specific characteristics that their roads were known for was how straight they were. So it's hard to appreciate today, you know, with all of our technology. Um, but 2,000 years ago, before electricity, the, the Roman Empire developed this ability to cut straight roads over miles and miles and miles, even through various terrains, over mountains they couldn't even see on the other side. And the way they did it is they, they invented this tool called agroma. And uh, it's, it's this surveying tool. It's really cool. It's like this stick and it's got a cross on the top of it. And you look through the cross and these plum weights hanging from it. So there is a sermon hidden in this groma that, that I'm not going to go into, but there, this will preach. But anyway, um, Timothy's work of preaching the gospel was very similar to the work of one who was responsible for cutting these straight roads. So imagine with me, if you can, a straight road. I want you to close your eyes. Just imagine a straight, you're standing before a straight road. If you try really hard, you might actually see one appear before you right now. You can open your eyes again. So this road that you've imagined represents what Paul calls the word of truth. And this is a phrase that Paul uses in several other places in his gospels. And it's a clear reference to the gospel of Jesus. So Timothy had been commissioned by God to preach the gospel. And in doing so, he was to cut a straight and clear path, a road for others to travel on so to, in order to be reconciled to God and also to walk in the way that pleases him and fulfills their purpose as his creation. 
And this motif of a straight path representing God's truth and God's will is all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Scripture. And it often comes with a warning not to swerve to the left, not to swerve to the right, but to stay straight on this road. Okay, now that you've got this beautiful road that you've imagined in your mind, now I want you to, to imagine there's a ditch on either side of this road, okay? Just like many of our roads today, Roman roads were built with ditches along the side, both sides, and that was to provide somewhere for the rain to go when it rained, uh, to allow for travel to continue. And, and in this passage, Paul is wanting to ensure that both Timothy and those under his care, that he's wanting to ensure that they build and stay on the straight path of the gospel. But we've got these two ditches. And so what would it look like to swerve off into one of these ditches? Well, Paul already tells us one of these ways in the preceding verse, verse 14, when Paul says, do not quarrel. So Paul is essentially saying in that verse, if in your attempt to, to stay the course and to uphold the substance of the gospel, you actually swerve from the spirit of the gospel. And by the spirit of the gospel, I'm referring to the attitude, the love, the grace, the gentleness, the humility, the kindness. If you swerve from the spirit of the gospel by quarreling, by making it a fight to be one, you're gonna end up in the ditch. And Paul calls this ditch ruin. And he says, if you swerve into ruin, you might take others with you. And so that's one way, that's one way that we could swerve from the straight path into a ditch. Now, how else might we end up in a ditch? Let's look at verse 16. Paul says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene or some, some versions say cancer, this evasive sickness. So it's not enough if we try to steer clear of the ditch on the left because there's another ditch on the right that we can fall into if we're not careful. And so instead of swerving from the spirit of the gospel, this ditch is reached by swerving from the substance of the gospel. And Paul refers to this as godless chatter. It's talk that is that is godless. It's empty of God. It's empty of truth. It's hollow. It's a shell. Uh, and, and so Paul is saying, you know, this is entertaining ideas that are clear contradictions to the plain teachings of the gospel. And when we swerve in this direction, Paul says it leads us into the ditch of ungodliness, which means thoughts, attitudes, actions that are actually in opposition with who God is and with what God desires. And Paul says, he goes on to say, this stuff is so powerful that it spreads like gangrene or like cancer. So basically he's saying, you don't want even a little bit of it. How would you like just a little bit of cancer in your fingertip? Would you be comfortable with that? Of course not, all it takes is one cell, right? One cancerous cell to, to, to fill the whole body and, and, and to, to kill someone. And so Paul's saying, this stuff is serious. Don't even get close to the ditch, if possible. So Paul actually, he goes on and he gives Timothy with a, uh, he gives him a real-time example of some individuals who instead of making that straight cut 
along the word of truth, they actually swerved off into the ditch on the right. Let's read. Paul says, Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. So there are these two individuals, Hymenaeus and Philetus. They had swerved from the substance of the gospel. They had swerved from the plain teaching of, of Jesus' gospel. And not only did they end up in the ditch, but they led others into it as well. And Paul tells us the specific place where they had swerved, the specific substance that they had swerved from had to do with the resurrection. So it is a core part of Jesus' gospel that Jesus was physically, bodily resurrected from the dead. And so will we who follow him when he returns. There will be a physical, bodily resurrection. It's one of the linchpins of our faith. And it's hard to imagine that these two guys were preaching that the physical resurrection had already taken place because that would have been so easy to refute. People could have said, actually, you look the same as you did last week. So how are you saying this already took place? Or someone could say, hey, every day I walk to and fro from work by a cemetery and I'm pretty sure I would have noticed if, if there were bodies, resurrected bodies crawling out of the ground. No, it, what was more likely is that these two teachers were saying that there really isn't a physical resurrection to look forward to. It's, it's more of a, just a spiritual resurrection, you know. And this is true, but it's a half-truth, and it's a dangerous enough half-truth that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that if you make an argument that there's no physical resurrection, then it'll be easy to argue that, well, then Jesus wasn't actually physically resurrected. And then you're left without a gospel at all. And so the resurrection of believers is not really a thread that you're wanting to pull on. Because before you know it, you're not going to have a sweater anymore if you pull on that thread. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next verse, but I want to, I want to be honest about something. So in, in my almost 25 years of seriously trying to follow Jesus, there, there have been few things that have shaken my faith as much as when a brother in the Lord or a sister or even worse, a father or a mother, when, when they've made a choice to swerve from the straight road into a ditch, this, this ditch in particular, it's, it has shaken me to the core. Um, it, it, and if there's any place where my faith was established some part on their faith, <laughs> the, that place was shaken. It's un, incredibly unsettling. It, 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 it leaves me wondering, oh my gosh, I thought they were the real deal. If they can't do it, if they can't stay straight on this path, how in the world can I expect myself to? Or, or what if I'm wrong? And what if they're the one that's right? What if I'm actually in the ditch and I think I'm on the path? And they're the ones who are on the path. It's tough. It can really shake you to the core. And, and I imagine Timothy, too, was shaken to the core by some of these teachers who were leaving the path and ending up in the ditch and taking people with them. So Paul comforts Timothy and he comforts me, he comforts us with these words. In verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So here's the good news. 
there is a foundation. The church is built on a foundation. It's a foundation that the prophets and the apostles laid down, and it is Jesus. It's the truth, the message, the gospel of Jesus, who he is and what he did. And this foundation stands firm, regardless of any amount of outside attack, outside scrutiny, outside attack on its validity, any new ideas that come up or theories, it withstands those attacks. It also withstands any abandonment from the inside, any, any people who are part of the house who decide to leave or, or abandon. These people like Philetus and Hymenaeus, these mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters that I know that have abandoned the faith, the foundation, it stands firm. There is, there is something that's more solid than my faith in my own experience, praise God. And Paul says there's an inscription. There are, there are a couple of truths that are, that are written on this foundation that are an essential part of it. And the first one is this, God knows those that are his. So I don't need to worry about if this person or that person's faith is genuine, as uncomfortable as not knowing something like that is, it's okay because God knows and that's enough. Secondly, the other inscription on the stone is, is that both the calling on a believer and the evidence of a genuine believer is this, that he or she is committed to the journey of turning away from wickedness or to put it another way, the, 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 the charge and the evidence of a genuine believer is that they are committed to getting out of the ditch and staying out of the ditch and journeying forward on the straight path of truth. So, what do we do with this passage? I want to invite you, this is, this is how I feel challenged about this passage, I want to invite you to commit yourself freshly right now to both the spirit and the substance of Jesus's gospel. And if you don't know what that is, I encourage you, read the gospels, read one of the gospels, read Paul as he expounds and, un and unpacks the, the implications of the gospel. So this morning, do you feel, have you realized like, whoa, I actually think I'm in one of these ditches. Have you realized that though you've clung to the substance of the gospel, you've kind of swerved from the spirit of the gospel, the love, the grace, the humility. Or have you realized this morning that, that you've embraced something that Paul refers to as gangrene, something that's deadly? Maybe you've, you've realized that you've, you've clinged to or have flirted with ideas that are clearly in opposition to the gospel of Jesus. If you find yourself in either of these ditches, there's an, an incredible amount of hope right now. Just turn to the Lord right now and call on him and say, Lord, I'm in a ditch. I don't want to be in this ditch. I want to be on the straight path. And I want to encourage you, don't do this alone. It's hard to get out of a ditch by yourself sometimes. We, we all need the help of others. So I want to encourage you, come back at 1145 to share uh, uh, and pray with others and be prayed for and be encouraged in a small group. Okay, maybe, maybe you don't find yourself in one of these ditches this morning, but you become aware of a tendency to swerve a little too close to one of these ditches. I encourage you to come back at 1145 as well and pray with others and, 
and be prayed for and, and find new strength to make that straight cut and to continue on that straight path in the spirit and the substance of the gospel. And so as we close, I want to just put up a few questions for you to consider in response to this message. But bless you, Antioch Bryden. I love journeying with you on the straight path of the gospel of Jesus. Mm-hmm.